Don't you just love when somebody says out loud something that you have just been thinking on the inside? It's great to have a friend like that, who the, the person that just kind of will blurt something out, and you're thinking, oh, I'm so glad that that's out there, and I'm glad that I wasn't the one that had to say it, right? Uh, maybe you're that person. God bless you. Um, I'm not usually that person, but today I am going to be that person. I'm going to take it upon myself to just kind of blurt out something that perhaps you've been thinking before, and you just haven't had the heart to actually say it out loud, okay? So here it goes. I'm going to say it. I'm going to try it out. Jesus is a strange guy. Have you ever thought that before? No, probably because you, you're not going to. You're thinking, pastor's trying to trick me in church into admitting that I thought Jesus was strange. I'm not going to fall for it today. Uh, but real, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm trying to actually say something that I think maybe some of us have thought before. And if you haven't, maybe as you read through Mark's gospel more, um, you, will, you will think that. Because Jesus um, is a strange guy in Mark's gospel. And I'm feeling that I'm, um, you guys are not with me yet, so I'm feeling some pressure to explain myself before I get booed out of this joint. So I'm, I'm going to try to do that here very soon. Um, but it's wonderful. We have these four gospel, story, uh, gospel books, right, in the New Testament. We have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and they each tell, I mean, they're not, like, exactly the same story, right? We get, we get to the same point eventually, but there are different perspectives that each of the gospel writers share, different way that they, ways that they sometimes organize some of the same material, um, and some stories that they highlight and some that are absent in other Gospels. Um, and so they, they each kind of, it's ultimately it's the same Jesus, it's the same Savior for you, but a little bit of a different portrayal of Jesus with each of the four Gospel accounts. And I would argue that uh, in Mark's Gospel, he, he's kind of strange. Now, I have to say, I believe it would be strange if Jesus didn't appear to be strange in the gospel. You know, I'm losing you even more now. Um, but, but track with me here. Imagine, you know, th this, this world is kind of strange in and of itself, right? It's a broken, sinful world. We don't have the right thoughts, the right expectations of God, even the right expectations for what uh, God's promised Messiah is going to be like when he finally comes. So then you have the sinless Son of God coming down from heaven, barging into this broken, sinful creation. Doesn't it just make sense that he would appear strange to us? He's so different than us, right? It'd be strange if he didn't look strange. And so that's exactly how Mark's gospel portrays him, the Son of God coming into this creation, and he appears to be strange. So he is a strange guy in Mark's gospel. Let me give you a few examples here of Jesus being strange. We can, we can all admit this without being sinful, right, that Jesus is strange. First of all, we see pretty clearly that Jesus has divine power in the gospel of Mark. He is God, after all. He does things that only God can do. He raises the dead. He walks on the water. He casts out demons. You're reading it, and you're like, yep, see, that checks the divinity box. He's got God power. But then sometimes, even in the same story or in the next story, you turn the page and then Jesus is depicted as a frail human being with some kinds of limitations. For instance, 
Uh, Jesus sometimes gets angry when his enemies oppose him. Um, there's the one story where it's uh, the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years comes up. There's a big crowd of people around, and she just touches his garment and then dashes away. And Jesus says, who touched me? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't know. I, th I thought he was God. I thought he would know everything. He doesn't know who touched him. Uh, that's kind of weird, right? Then there's another story where Jesus goes to a town, and it says, Mark tells us, he was unable to do any miracles there because of their lack of faith. Unable to, Jesus, un unable to do anything? This is, this is strange. This is just kind of objectively strange. And we're not, we're, this is tip of the iceberg here so far. Um, furthermore, he also is kind of strange and erratic in his behavior sometimes. He's hiding out in chapter one from the crowds. People want him to heal them, and, and he's hiding. And then sometimes he does heal people, and then he sternly tells them, don't say nothing to nobody. And, um, and then, the, probably the weirdest thing that he does, maybe in the whole book, is he comes up to a fig tree, and uh, the fig tree is not producing figs. And he curses the tree, and it shrivels up and it dies. But then Mark tells us uh, it wasn't even the season for figs. That's strange, right? Furthermore, Jesus' own family thinks he's crazy, um, his enemies say he has a demon, and then he's on the cross, and he, he's crying out to God the Father, why have you forsaken me? You set all these things out on the table, you try to put them all together and come up with a clear and coherent picture of who Jesus is. It's hard to do. It's a strange book about a strange hero. And so, uh, because Mark is a strange book, in Mark... As he tells this story, seeing is not believing. You could observe all the events, all the actions that Jesus takes in the gospel, and it would not automatically have you arrive at a conclusion about who Jesus is. Seeing is not believing. Rather, see, this is backwards. It's a strange book, right? Seeing follows from believing, as Mark tells us, the whole story. Seeing follows from believing. We'll say a lot more about that. I have, uh, when, I, when I was uh, training to be a pastor at Concordia Seminary, I had a professor named Dr. Jim Veltz, and his unofficial title there was the Mark Guy. He was the expert on the Gospel of Mark. He wrote the books on it. Uh, I took a class from him just about the Gospel of Mark. Shout out to him. I'm kind of a mild fanboy of his because um, he's helped me with Mark Bible studies and Mark sermons. So I you know, just had to, had to throw that out there here today. But I wanted to show a, a, a quote from Dr. Veltz. Um, this is what he says, kind of uh, a high-level explanation about what Mark is about. He says, this then is what Mark's Gospel is about. The ambiguity of the evidence the necessity of believing in the face of such evidence and the reliability of Jesus' word. The reliability of Jesus' word. That's the main thing. But what he's explaining is the gospel does not give you a clear way to see. The gospel does not give you just, here's all the nicely, neatly organized 
facts, you can observe things about Jesus and come to the only possible conclusion. That is not what the gospel will give you. It will not give you a sign that you could see and then believe. In fact, it kind of reminds me of Jesus in chapter 8 of Mark's gospel. The Pharisees, they're, they're like the bad guys in the story, right? They come up and they demand a sign. Jesus, give us a sign so that we might believe. And Jesus is frustrated by this. He says, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. No sign, no clear evidence will be given. What you will be given, however, all you will be given is the word of Jesus. And in Mark's gospel, and for us, that is enough. The word of Jesus is enough. And you're thinking, that is very, that's overly simplistic, Pastor. That's not enough for me. Well, the beauty, the good news is it really is enough. It is that simple. But we'll talk about how we react to this sometimes. But in Mark, believing the word of Jesus will help you see. Believing comes and then seeing with eyes of faith comes after. So the question for us that we wrestle with all the time is, how am I supposed to believe before seeing in a seeing is believing world? You want me to live in this backwards kind of way? I like to see things first. And we do, right? That's our, we, we kind of are like the Pharisees. We're, we're sinful people, right? We, wanna, we want God to make everything just the way that we want it to be. God, give me a sign that I might believe. You know, justify yourself, God. Prove it to me. That's kind of the way, you know, a lot of things in life work, right? We, we want to know what we're working with. We want it to, to just be clear. We want the cold, hard facts. Come on, God, can't you give that to me? So we struggle with that. We struggle pretty mightily with it sometimes. We like, um, we like to be in control of most things. We don't like having ambiguous evidence. And we sure don't like to be dependent on someone else, like for our future. We don't like that. That's not plan A for us. Which leads us to, now, now we're kind of crossing paths with the disciples. Uh, supposedly, I'm preaching on this gospel text. So here it is now. We've, we've arrived there at long last from Mark chapter 4. This story of the disciples being in the boat with Jesus on the stormy sea of Galilee. And so we like to be in control. The disciples are very much not in control in this story. Um, we like to have evidence that's clear, unambiguous. The disciples have not received that. They've, all they have is a bunch of ambiguous evidence so far in their experience with Jesus. We do not like to be dependent on someone else's word. That's, the disciples are very dependent in this moment on the word of Jesus to save them. So we, we can kind of vibe with the disciples here and what's going on. And so we have just that, that quick, I mean, we've already, we've read the story, we've kind of acted it out again, but the disciples are scared. Um, they, they go, wake up Jesus. He, he wakes up and he speaks, peace be still, and everything calms down. Now we'll, we'll kind of hold it there for a minute. But the disciples are confused at this point. Because again, they've seen... They've seen all types of things about Jesus so far. They've seen some strange stuff, and they haven't been able to figure it all out. But they know one thing. 
They know that only God can control the chaotic, stormy sea. Do you guys have a healthy respect for the water? Yeah, I, I really do. <laughs> um, and, and from ancient times, it's always been, it's, this has been one of the things that humanity has admitted, you know what, we can kind of in some respects um, exert some level of control over the water, but definitely not all the way. It's, it's untamable, really, these waters. Now, I know it, even today we have better technology and the way we build ships and boats and everything. Still, if, if, if the waters are starting to get, uh, you know, uh, roiled up, like you, you don't want to be out there. So this healthy respect and even a fear um, for the water has existed for all of history, and the disciples sure knew that only God can control the sea. We see this uh, from our story about Jonah, right? Kind of a similar story in some respects to this story that, from our gospel. Um, Jonah's sleeping, Jesus is sleeping, um, but they have to you know, toss, you know, God ultimately stops, he calms it down once Jonah plops into the water. But even that psalm reading, it acknowledges that it's only God who can protect his people when they're out on the waters. So the disciples, they're, they're thinking, well, we know God is the only one that can do this, control his creation. But Jesus just spoke. And the sea acted like its master had spoken. You know, Jesus, we've, we've seen some strange things about him, but we have seen him use his words and have control like, like God. It's like the, the wind and the waves acted like God spoke which he had, right? Jesus is God, and he speaks, and things fall into place. So Jesus uses his words, peace be still, and the sea calms. And the disciples ask, who then is this? They are wrestling with what his identity is. They're wrestling with all the strange evidence, and they don't quite know. Who indeed is this? Jesus. Jesus says something uh, pretty striking then at the end of this story. It's a pretty short story, but there's, like, there's a lot of stuff packed into it. Jesus says, have you still no faith? That hurts to hear that. I, I bet that was hurtful to hear. Have you still no faith? I, I think, though, um, that Jesus, you know, he, he sometimes will use pretty strong, exaggerated language to get a point across. So I don't think that he meant they had zero faith. I think it's pretty clear that the disciples don't have no faith, forgive the double negative, but they, they, don't, they don't have no faith. Clearly, they, they did. They rushed over to Jesus when they were scared. They knew that he could do something for them. So there's some kind of faith there, even though maybe it's kind of weak and incomplete, imperfect. There's some type of faith there. But Jesus, um, for the disciples... Jesus kind of serves two purposes here. He is both an example of faith and also the object of their faith. So let, let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus uh, shows himself to be an example of faith in his Father. So he is in the middle of this storm and he's sleeping because he trusts that God the Father will protect him. And it made me think of um, my family used to go on a lot of road trips. So we were in the car a lot and I don't want to brag, but I am very good at sleeping. And so I, I could fall in the backseat, I could fall asleep 
kind of no matter what, no matter what the conditions were. Whether it was just picture-perfect driving conditions, I could fall asleep. But on the other extreme, you know, rain is pouring down, the wind is blowing the car, you know, all along the road. They're driving through, you know, like these windy mountain roads in Tennessee or something, and I'm also sleeping. Now, maybe I was naive, I don't know, but I think it's just, it, just, it just shows that, that trust, that total trust that, hey, mom and dad, they're gonna drive, they're, they're gonna get us where we're supposed to go. They're in control. And I think that's what we see here uh, from Jesus. He's just sleeping in the boat. He's trusting in his father. The disciples did not have the same confidence about things, but they, so it shows that they, they saw Jesus as an example of what faith looks like, but it also shows as they, as they quickly go over to him, he is the object of their faith. They are putting their faith in him. Again, faith doesn't necessarily mean you know, you know every single thing in the right order, but it means I, I trust, I, I'm trusting that guy to save me right now. And so they go and they say, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And he wakes up, and he speaks, and, and he, he does not put their faith to shame. He speaks, peace, be still, and everything is calm. He does save them, in fact. And they see that powerful, re reliable word of Jesus as they put that faith in him. They're finally giving up that control, kind of setting aside, oh, there's a lot of ambiguous evidence, I don't quite know, it's okay to be dependent on this Jesus. I'm going to keep learning as I go, but it's okay to be dependent on Jesus. And there's all kinds of takeaways from this story, I think, but the, the, one, the one that I, I really want to zero in on for us today is, is this one. Uh, when in doubt, take Jesus at his word. And I know, I mean, after this sermon, you're never going to have a doubt again. You're just going to, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that would be strange. We're still going to have doubts. We're still going to have struggles. But the main point for us is, as Mark is trying to show us, you have the word of Jesus, and it is, it is enough. It is enough for you. The word of Jesus is powerful, and it is, it is reliable for you. You can build your life upon it. So when in doubt, you, know, you hear, hear the word of Jesus. Take Jesus at his word, that word that calms the chaotic creation. Take Jesus at his word, that word that, that speaks and, and uh, calms the doubts and the fears that you might have. Take Jesus at his word, the word that, you know, you're, you're torn up inside, you're worried about, like, can God love me? Can God really forgive the things that I've done? And he confirms that, in fact, your sins are forgiven. We see this all throughout the Gospel of Mark, that the word of Jesus is the main thing. And we see it eventually at the very end. Mark chapter 16, the end of the Gospel, it's Easter morning, and uh, Jesus has died a couple days before. The women come to the tomb early in the morning. They look inside. It's empty. Oh, but there's an angel there. And the angel says, um, you're looking for Jesus. He is, he is not dead. He's risen just as he told you. And in fact, in that Easter story, you don't even see Jesus on screen, so to speak. He doesn't appear in that story. All you get is the word of the angel calling back what he said before. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. And the angel says, yeah, you didn't, 
just as he told you. This is what's happened. The word of Jesus is enough. So as you read through this strange, you know, admittedly this strange story from Mark about this strange, sinless son of God entering into this strange world to redeem and restore all people back into relationship with the Father, latch onto that word and be thankful that you have the word of Jesus. And be thankful that you have the Holy Spirit that Jesus sends to help you believe the word, to take Jesus at his word so that then you can see. And that's how, that's the order. You believe and then you see. So believe Jesus' words and see him, see him as your Lord and your Savior from all the chaos that this world might throw at you. Hear his word and know and believe and see him as your Savior. In his name, amen. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world. And even though we don't have, naturally, we don't have the eyes to see rightly who he is and what he means, but we thank you that we have his word and we have the spirit to help us take him at his word and believe it and then see clearly. So give us these eyes of faith and help us to always take Jesus at his word. In his name, amen.